Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Hope you had a good weekend. Good chance it was wet where you are over the weekend. In some places, lots and lots of rain, amazing amounts of rain. Other places, not as much. Some places still needing rain, and some places dealing with some extreme heat. I mean, we have some a lot of uh, weather stories across the country. We'll talk about that today with John Baranek, DTN meteorologist. We'll get lots of reaction today to the Supreme Court ruling on RFS waivers. Disappointing to the biofuels industry, but not all bad news. We'll get into that with Troy Bradenkamp with the Renewable Fuels Association and Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board. All that coming up on today's program. But we'll start it off, help us to make our way through a busy news day and news week ahead. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Lots going on. Yes, there are a lot of things going on, Mike, and uh, thanks. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Okay, help us sort through and keep track of all these infrastructure bills and where they're at and and who's backing which one and where we're going from here. Well, there was a what seemed to be a big victory, a bipartisan agreement with the White House. President Joe Biden had said he was on board to have this $1.2 trillion infrastructure package move forward, only to stumble into some comments in which he said it was not going to move forward unless it was moving in tandem with a, another form of infrastructure bill that basically has the wish list for all the progressive Democrats, and that has infrastructure for health care and green energy and a lot of things that the Republicans would not go along with, as well as some of the moderate Democrats. And after that time, um, it was a really a mess, it seemed to be, at the White House, because people were saying, well, uh, he does support it, but it doesn't have to be in tandem, or it does. And then what ended up happening is the president issued a statement over the weekend that seemed to calm some of these centrists down and get the deal back on track, it may seem. Um, but at the same time, Mike, uh, uh, on the House side, uh, because the Senate is out this week, uh, the House side is moving ahead with their own markup, and there's no Republicans supporting that. So it's really, really unclear how this is going to advance. I think there is a ground and a path to move forward with this bipartisan deal, but it really got thrown for a loop over the weekend. It is really confusing. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see. Uh, meanwhile, the president looks like we'll be coming uh, to Wisconsin this week. Uh, Brian Winnikins, with our affiliate in Durand, Wisconsin, WRDN, talked with uh, Wisconsin Congressman Ron Kind and asked him about what uh, we might expect from the president this week. And this is what Congressman Kind said. So yeah, they're going to be coming in. They're going to be talking about you know the Build Back Better plan as we emerge from this pandemic and what it means to revitalizing rural America. Support for family farmers, rural economic development, support for rural health care and rural education, 
broadband access, but he's also, I think, going to have an important announcement as far as the beef market is concerned. And so that's another reason why they wanted to come to Western Wisconsin uh, next Tuesday. Again, our thanks to Brian Winnikins from WRDN for that audio. So maybe an announcement concerning uh, the cattle markets. And certainly the cattle markets have gotten the attention of uh, Congress and now evidently even the administration, Sarah. Yeah, I do think that there's going to be a lot of talk about infrastructure and that perhaps the ability to have smaller meat processors uh, get the certified to sell across state lines. Uh, that's certainly been on the you know drawing board for quite some time now. But um, you know you've got a lot of folks just in the market that are looking at building new processing facilities. We mm-hmm. talked about the new pork plant, the new other uh, cattle market plant that's going to go up in western Iowa. So uh, the market is working there, but we've got a lot of interest in trying to help these smaller processors build out in a way that can uh, give them more flexibility. Also, we're looking ahead. The House Appropriations Committee will be looking at amendments to uh, some of the uh, 2022 spending bills. That includes ag and uh, the interior EPA measures as well. So uh, we'll be watching that when it comes to uh, the spending bills. Right. We've got a lot of the details on our website in terms of what was approved by the subcommittee. But it's uh, remarkable that we've got big boosts for broadband, $907 million, that's a $115 million increase, and $3.3 billion for ag research. That's up about $226 million. So some big numbers for increases in ag spending, and it's uh, certainly not out of the woods yet, but I do think that uh, the bill is going to move forward with some additional amendments this week, and, and then we'll see if they can get the whole package of everything done before the end of the fiscal year. Usually that's a, a tough slog. And court action, uh, this the administration's minority debt forgiveness program, uh, that's uh, that's caught up in in the legal uh, system as well. What do we expect there, or do we think there'll be any decisions coming soon? Well, there's certainly a, a second court weighed in and has put this on hold, so uh, we're going to be watching that. Um, we're also in the courts. I mean, you mentioned that you're going to be talking with the ethanol and biodiesel folks, and and that's something that uh, we're watching in terms of how that's going to be interpreted on the uh, 6-3 Supreme Court ruling. And then today, Mike, we're watching to see if the Supreme Court will issue an announcement on uh, California's Proposition 12, which, as you know, is keeping meat and poultry production from other states uh, making the requirements that were set by the state of California. And um, the administration had backed the North American Meat Institute in their decision to uh, go back to the Supreme Court on that, but um, they did not weigh in on the Supreme Court level. So we're waiting to see how SCOTUS is going to rule on that case mm-hmm. today. Yeah, it's ag in the courtroom. And this... Uh... Uh, this decision by the Supreme Court on the uh, RFS waivers, while it's disappointing to the biofuels industry, it doesn't. It's not all bad news. It still really goes back to the EPA to decide whether they're going to grant waivers or not. Exactly, and you know we talked to um, the folks at the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings, and he was saying there's three pillars to that tenth court decision, and 
only one of the three were in question in the SCOTUS decision that just came out with that 6-3 ruling. So EPA has some flexibility there on how they're going to deal with these small refinery exemptions. So a lot indeed going on. Sarah, thank you. You and your team at AgriPulse do such a great job of covering these stories. We thank you, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Great. Have a good week, Mike. Thank you, Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Well, indeed, weather was a big story over the weekend and continues to be. Just amazing amounts of rain in some places, not so much in others. More rain still coming uh, here at the beginning of the week. We're going to talk about all that with DTN meteorologist John Baranek as we uh, get ready also to head to the month of July. What does that July forecast look like? That's all coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, president of the National Corn Growers Association, John Linder. How do you feel about how the Biden administration is dealing with the biofuels industry? Do you think they're fully supportive? Uh, and again, the statement we just heard from uh, Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters that the Biden administration is not a fan of liquid fuels. How do you feel about that? Uh, I'd say that perspective would disappoint me. I believe that they are listening to us and they want to find a path forward. And, you know, corn ethanol checks so many boxes. I think it's a great story. And I think the opportunity to recognize that it fully fits the climate strategy today it, and it will only get better going forward. And so that's our, our effort of advocation for our corn farmers is it's so critical to the demand base for corn, right? And the farmers really need us to help provide that stability, that certainty, so the next generation has a place in agriculture as they desire. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. Eleven million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. 
My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Wow, lots of rain over the weekend in many parts of the country. Let's talk about it with John Baranek, DTM Meteorologist. John's just some amazing rain totals we have seen so far. Yeah, I mean, that's going to happen when you get a stalled front uh, during the summertime. That typically happens. So, uh, And it's really stalled from West Texas up through lower Michigan. We saw lots of areas that were two to four inches at least uh, in that entire zone. Um, plenty of flooding that went on as well where some of those uh, thunderstorms just kind of trained over the same area over and over again. There are several locations through Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma that saw well over six inches of rain. In some places, double digits. Yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, kind of northeast of Tulsa, there was uh, plenty of places over 10 inches. There were some in, in Kansas. Uh, it got close, I think, if it didn't eclipse it in central Illinois around normal. Um, and there's some other places around there as well. All right. What areas did not get much rain over the weekend? Yeah, so uh, usually what happens is, you know, the front will be active, but behind it you won't see a whole lot of, of precipitation on the cold side of that front. But we did see scattered showers pretty much north and west of that front all the way through the weekend. Um, but it wasn't, you know, this you know, obviously the same kind of amounts that we were looking at along the front. Still, we did see some pretty good, decent rainfall here from eastern Nebraska into central Wisconsin. That was good for those drought conditions there. That included southern Minnesota and northern Iowa, areas that were kind of missed out from uh, some of the previous rainfall that went through. Um, but when you go back through western Minnesota, through the Dakotas, there were sure there were scattered showers going on, but rainfall amounts really didn't eclipse a half inch for, for most of that. If you got more than a half inch in those areas, you were pretty lucky. So you still got places dealing with dry conditions. Now you've got some places dealing with flooded conditions. Yeah, a lot of haves and have-nots, and that's um, kind of been the case here uh, over the, the course of this spring. You know, it's been pretty decent across the central and southern plains and most of the eastern Corn Belt, uh, and it really has not been over the northern plains. And we kind of continue to see that here over this weekend, and we'll continue to see it here this week as well. Uh, that front that is, is really going to stay stalled for the next couple days, too. So the heavy rainfall that we saw over the weekend, and we're going to see more totals on top of that. I know the Weather Service has some flash flood uh, watches out from basic, that whole area. Um, so I would not be surprised to see more flooding continue to occur there through at least Tuesday. Um, by the time we get to Wednesday, we'll start to see that front start to sag its way uh, southward and then will continue to push its way into the Gulf of Mexico and across the southeast uh, U.S. Uh, later this week and into this weekend. And that will put an end to a lot of the showers uh, across the Corn Belt and, and much of the plains as well. So we'll turn the calendar later this week to July, and obviously now a lot of areas will uh, go into July with uh, plenty of moisture. Others, of course, still will be struggling on that. But as we go into July, what are we looking at as far as temperatures are concerned? 
Yeah, at least for the beginning part of July here, we're going to see there's, I mean, there's been an incredible ridge of high pressure across the Pacific Northwest where they've been hitting all-time record high temperatures uh, yesterday. They'll continue to do that today. It'll get worse today. Uh, that'll spread east through the uh, through southern Canada and the northern plains, um, but it'll be spreading itself out, so it won't be so concentrated. It won't be as hot. But we'll see temperatures really increase uh, again across the northern plains, um, and it'll create kind of a zone here where we'll continue to see periods of showers uh, across the eastern Corn Belt down to the southern plains, but have limited chances um, when we get up into the northern plains. And in between that, from Nebraska, uh, northwest Iowa, most of Minnesota. Uh, we'll be kind of in that transition spot where um, where you go south and east and, and you got plenty of rain and you go northwest and you don't have hardly anything. Um, those areas will be kind of the ones to watch for. They're high production areas, so um, we need the rainfall. And there's at least chances for it, but it's, it's kind of questionable whether or not is it going to get in there or is it going to kind of stay off to the south and east for the month of July. Yeah, do, do you see any indication that July just turns off real hot and dry, uh, makes a big change, or do we see the pattern of June continuing into July, through July? I think we're more likely to see the pattern of June continue through July. I mean, we were really hot um, early in the month, um, really hot and dry, especially in the plains here where we're hitting triple digits on a, on a daily basis. Uh, we're probably not to that extreme, but, you know, keeping the, more, the more of the hot and dry conditions off the northwest and the, the, the cooler and, and uh, wetter off to the southeast, I think is um, not really a, a slam dunk, but I think that's the way the pattern is going to shape up uh, if, if you go kind of overall picture for the month of July. John, from my standpoint, it seems like this has been a hard spring and early summer to to really uh, get a handle on uh, weather-wise. Now, from your perspective, you're in the business. You do this for a living. Has uh, this been a hard uh, period so far to forecast and to kind of predict what's coming? Uh, it, it seems unsettled to me. Yeah, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, it's 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 fairly typical. Models handle the next five days or so fairly well. It's once you get beyond that, uh, that models have been really struggling with. And I think a lot of that has to do with the uh, the El Nino picture we've been in. We've been in a neutral El Nino, La Nina here um, going into the spring and, and all the way until now. So the, the overall um, weather driver, main weather driver, is, is really not there. So we're having to play kind of catch up a, a, a with models and stuff. So kind of the longer-range models are not really getting um, – the kind of uh, patterns that, that, that we have uh, come to see show up in the, in the shorter range forecasts. Um, so, I mean, the, the models have been struggling, uh, and that's just due just to the, the big weather driver. It just isn't there. So is it unusual to have such a wide area get repeated uh, rains like this where it kind of hits hard? almost backs up or comes back again and you, you get it right on top of that same area over and over? For a large stretch of the country, yes, it's very un, uh, unusual. I mean, it, would have, it has to happen with a stalled frontal boundary and pieces of 
of upper level energy moving across that frontal, frontal boundary, just continuing to reinforce the rainfall. Um, you know, when you're talking about a thousand mile stretch of the country, um, getting repeated rainfall over several days, that's not very typical. You know, when we saw it kind of uh, like the 93 Iowa floods uh, in the upper Midwest, that was a frontal boundary that was stalled, but, you know, it was a much smaller area. Um, you know, things like that are, are more kind of a regional thing instead of a national kind of uh, impact. So, yeah, something like this is a little bit unusual. You know, I know there are those areas that have been dry all along and are still dry. We know about those. But it it, it was not that long ago, just a few days ago, we were talking about a big chunk of the uh, middle part of the country uh, really getting concerned about dry conditions. Wow, that that seems like a long time ago now. <laughs> it sure does. I mean, the last couple of weeks, we've had several, you know, really good pieces of energy moving through, producing good widespread rainfall. I mean, we, I know we, we were especially concerned on our front here across Iowa and Minnesota, um, Iowa especially, since it had been really getting, getting the shaft in terms of, of rainfall um, through the spring. Um, and that has since had quite totally reversed, but we've gotten a lot of good rainfall over that state. And, uh, uh, I was a little bit more concerned over southern Minnesota. We saw some really good rainfall over there over the weekend. It wasn't everywhere, but uh, uh, prospects are looking better in those two uh, sections of the country. Well, overall, and again, I know some areas are very dry and other areas now are very wet, but overall, you just feel better usually uh, crop-wise when you go into July with uh, with moisture instead of thinking about when are we going to get that next rain. It's a little different picture headed into July. Yeah, as long as you can get some storage in the subsoil uh, category for for soil moisture, you're 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 pretty happy about what's going on. Even if you can, you know, get a, a couple week stretch of, of limited rainfall, you know, and getting the uh, root zones to really penetrate uh, deeper into the soil surface uh, will really help with that. So. You know, there's, early in the season, you know, the, the roots are, are really trying to search for that moisture. And if they have to go deeper, it only sets them up better for, for rainfall if it comes, like, during this point of, of the season and into early July here before we get into pollination. So hopefully the root zones are a little bit better going into uh, into July. Yeah, some of that subsoil moisture uh, storage is now full, and we'll see uh, how long that lasts. John, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Mike. John Baranek, DTN Meteorologist. Up next, we'll look at the Supreme Court ruling on RFS waivers next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. If I could be you, and you could be me, for just one hour, if you could find a way to get inside each other's mind, walk a mile in my shoes, walk a mile in my shoes, walk, walk a mile, mile in, in my, my shoes. shoes, we've all felt left out, and for some, 
that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. On Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court announced a 6-3 decision in favor of oil companies seeking EPA exemptions from biofuel blending requirements. This was a big blow to the biofuel industry and gives the current and future administrations the authority to exempt oil refineries from their annual biofuel blending requirement. Today, we are seeing mostly higher futures across the board of trade. September corn trading 11 and a fraction higher at 5.41.5 cent. The December contract up 11.5 cent at 5.30 and three quarters. For soybeans, August up 18 and three quarters at 13.21 and three quarters. November up 23 and a fraction at 12.93 and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat, September up 14 and three quarters at 6.55 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat, September up 18 and a fraction at 6.27 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat, September up 29 and a fraction at 8.37 and a fraction. July up 31 and three quarters at 8.54 and a quarter. For livestock, packers waited on the cattle on feed report to determine just how aggressive they need to be to secure supplies. Packers appear to be well supplied with cattle for the next few weeks, but they will need to continue to purchase ahead. The cattle on feed report was slightly friendly relative to trade estimates. The number of cattle on feed came in at 100 percent, with a trade estimate of 100.6 percent. Placements were at 93 percent compared to trade estimates of 95.1 percent. Marketings were 123 percent compared to estimates of 100 123.5. On the Board of Trade, August Live Cattle trading 80 cents lower at 122 even. The October contract down 60 at 127.80. For feeders, August down $1.90 at 157.65. September $1.45 lower at 159.80. For lean hogs, the August contract up to 77 at 102.55. October up $2.35 at 86.75. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. The much-anticipated Supreme Court ruling on RFS waivers did not go the way the biofuels industry had hoped. But it's not all bad news either. Let's talk about it with Troy Bradenkamp, Senior Vice President, Government and Public Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association. Troy, thanks for joining us. First of all, how do you, how do you break down this ruling and 
pluses, minuses from a biofuels perspective. What's your analysis? Hey, Mike, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, you, you know, I'm, we're obviously disappointed. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court cited against us on, I guess, what we would call a technical issue, the definition of extension. You know, so now it means that a small uh, refinery can apply for an exemption at any time. I think it's important to point out, though, that, that it is going to be, there's going to be a more stringent threshold to grant those exemptions moving forward. Um, as the other two parts of that Tenth Circuit decision were not challenged by the Supreme Court. So, so there are two very good parts still in place, and we plan to make sure the EPA uh, sticks to those. Were you surprised at the announcement? I know you were disappointed, but were you surprised the Supreme Court ruled this way? Well, we were surprised. I thought we made a really good case. Uh, when you look at actually <laughs> extension, you would have to uh, think that um, it would require there to be something in place in order to be extended, just my layman's thoughts of that. Obviously, the Supreme Court looks at things a little differently, um, and, and so we were disappointed um, and a little bit surprised. Um, we were actually surprised to hear that the Supreme Court called for the case to begin with uh, because it was a unanimous decision out of the Tenth Circuit. So right off the bat, uh, back a year and a half ago, we were, you know, somewhat uh, surprised they actually took the case. So, so there was something there that they wanted to take a look at. Now we know, and we'll move on from here. I guess that's why I'm not totally, totally surprised. I was concerned and, and thought something like this might be coming just in the fact, as you said, that they took the case. So they must have yep. seen something there that led them to do that, which kind of made you think this could be this is the type of ruling that could be coming. Yeah, it, it was a weird thing. Like I said, we had a unanimous decision coming out of the Tenth Circuit. Usually, when there's a unanimous decision at the circuit court level, the Supreme Court doesn't typically do anything with those. So the fact that they brought the case or or they wanted to hear this one component of that case you know, told us there was something they wanted to make a ruling on. And clearly they did want to at least define what extension was. And that obviously either, depending on how you look at it, puts a limitation either on the government or actually gives the government a little more latitude uh, to actually um, take in an application now from a small refinery at any time. Uh, but we, again, Mike, I, I think it's important to point out to everyone, uh, the, the two of the three pillars remain in place from that 10th circuit. That is an EPA analysis of hardship that is limiting them to look at just what is being caused from an RFS perspective. Um, that's in there and that's going to be a pretty high threshold. The other half of that is that the, that the EPA must reconcile any future exemptions awarded by that agency um, with the fact that they've already taken the position that refineries of all sizes are able to pass RFS compliance costs on in the price of their product. So, so for us, and in our opinion, that, that really means that it will be difficult, if not impossible, for refineries to establish or, or prove that the RFS has caused them hard moving forward if the EPA applies those other two pillars of that 10th Circuit decision and that's what we're going to make sure that they do move forward. 
Yeah, I want to get more into that in just a moment. We're talking to Troy Bradenkamp with the Renewable Fuels Association. Troy, what did you make of the uh, the breakdown in the voting on the Supreme Court among the justices and some of their uh, their opinions, their comments they made? I thought it was very interesting. You know, it was the first. I think it was the first case uh, since Justice Barrett was added to the court that there was a uh, a, a gender breakdown. Uh, it was uh, males versus females. Um, and it was also Justice Barrett's first dissension that 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 she wrote and authored. So I, I think those are significant. Um, I don't know what else to read into that, um, other than the fact that that uh, men probably want things very well spelled out in in law. And in this case, uh, extension wasn't well enough defined that they felt comfortable um, allowing that to stand the way that the Tenth Circuit saw it. So. Um, and there was interesting uh, perspectives from, from each case. Again, you, you know, there was a lot of point. To, and again, it really came down to that tech, technical aspect of, of extension. What is extension if it had been better defined in statute? And we're finding that within that RFS. There's a couple things in that RFS that we hoped or, or should have probably had better defined. And in this case, they, they, they ruled it in a certain way to make sure that in future cases, we're going to have to probably tighten up language whenever we can. All right, so let's look to the future. Moving forward now, and you were talking about this earlier, um, it really comes back now to to the to EPA making these decisions on these on these waivers moving forward. That's absolutely correct, Mike. You know, there's 70 pending uh, that were kind of in a holding pattern. Obviously, there could be more applications now since they can be submitted at any time uh, under the new definition of extension so there will be a need for the epa to to determine what the outcome of of these uh, existing and future uh, sre applications are however uh, again that 10th circuit decision requires them to make sure that whatever hardship claim is being made by the uh, refinery that it is limited just to the hardship caused by RFS um, re- regulatory burden. And then the second part of that, which almost sounds like double speak, but the second part of that decision says, and oh, by the way, EPA, you've already said that the refineries can recover those regulatory costs. So you have to explain why you are going to grant a new exemption when you've already said they can recover those costs. That to us is a super high hurdle that will now need to be crossed, and we'll make sure that the EPA applies that part of the ruling to future analysis uh, of these applications as the ones that are sitting on the table are still there and the new ones coming in all need to meet that new threshold. So that's that's where we're, we're hopeful moving forward. Uh, the Biden administration has indicated to us that they have every intent to to uh, to use that 10th Circuit decision and those two components of that 10th Circuit decision still remain so so we're going to work with the Biden administration moving forward to make sure no uh, small refinery exemptions are handed out uh, nearly to the extent that they were in the previous administration all right so you see room and reason for optimism in working with EPA moving forward. But I also look at EPA and the administration and I see and hear some mixed signals when it comes to biofuels. Does that concern you? Well, there, there certainly has been some mixed mix signals. Um, 
in this administration right now, everyone is talking about decarbonizing uh, the transportation sector. And, and so everyone is thinking about electric vehicles and the electric vehicle uh, uh, platform and how that might help with that goal to decarbonize. You know, one thing that we have done a pretty good job and, and will continue to do, Mike, and that is remind the Biden administration and Congress and EPA and, and anyone that will listen that biofuels today is a very good source of decarbonizing uh, energy uh, for the transportation sector. Uh, we have some great studies out there that show uh, ethanol, current ethanol, made with uh, 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 the, the current corn production methods um, is almost 50% less in carbon footprint than conventional gasoline. So right there, if we're going to talk decarbonizing moving forward, we need to make sure that the Biden administration and anyone in, the, in D.C. Uh, from a policymaking uh, perspective knows that. And it's something that could be deployed rather quickly. Uh, so that's the issue that, that we're bringing to the administration each and every day. Um, and that's what makes us feel pretty good moving forward uh, with the two good pillars left in the 10th Circuit decision, plus the fact that our product is just, you know, you know far superior when it comes to uh, the ability to decarbonize and being deployed. Um, we feel pretty good about the future of biofuels for the transportation sector. And finally, real quick, the, all this talk of these rumors about some kind of relief for the oil industry and could that be through the RVO levels that are set by EPA adjustments made there? Do you think that's what's going to happen? Well, it certainly could. Um, you know, we wouldn't want to see that happen. That would we would that would we would look at that as a mistake, Mike. Uh, if they were to do something like that, you know, the renewable volume obligations moving forward, uh, we want to see something that shows a growth pattern or a growth opportunity. Um, we have proven over and over again that we're able to to produce a lot of biofuels uh, and meet the current demand uh, with the technology in agriculture and obviously at the plant level. So we really see no need to to reduce those numbers, and we don't see how a reduction in the RVOs moving forward would a be fair and b would actually have any kind of a long term impact to uh, rent prices moving forward. You know, that rent market is a market, and so that's what they need to realize, that the market needs to play out. The market is playing out right now with the current prices, and as long as they let the market be the market, we should be okay, and those prices will, will fluctuate as needed. That's the policy All we right. want to see the administration put forward moving forward. Okay. Troy Bradenkamp with the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us. This is AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. 
I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player for the Indianapolis Colts. Becoming a running back was no easy task for me. But it's nothing compared to what my amazing mom faces every day. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14 years old. Yet she's always there for me, every step of the way, despite our own battles. And the Muscular Dystrophy Association is there for my mom. At their 150 care centers across the U.S., MDA is the leading organization in research and care for kids and adults with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and related neuromuscular diseases. Their research is helping find cures and save lives. Watching my mom go through her daily struggles and the care she receives from MDA has made me determined to help find a cure for neuromuscular disease. That is why I support MDA, and that's why I'm so grateful to others who do too. Join me and learn more at helpmda.org today. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. What do you think about this grant program? Well, this is great news. It's always cool to see something that we've engaged on here in Washington and worked on come to fruition and start to bear fruit for our producers around the country. At the height of COVID last year, there was a lot of conversation about processing capacity and how we could empower some of these smaller plants around the country. Yeah, I think that's the key thing here, the key takeaway. You have said that this grant money will help ensure that we're not just making big plants bigger, but expanding capacity in those smaller independent facilities. That's the name of the game. Everything we're working on back here right now is focused on delivering those resources to the ground. At the margins that we're all familiar with, with the big four, if they want to add more capacity, they've got the checkbook to do it. We want to empower other market participants, and and we think that's where the federal government can help through some of these programs, and that's where we're putting our focus. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Blood clots can happen to anyone. Up to 900,000 people in the United States are affected by blood clots each year, and 100,000 die from them. 
blood clots don't discriminate. You or a loved one could be at risk right now. The good news is blood clots can be prevented. Knowing the risks and symptoms are key. On average, one person in the United States dies of a blood clot every six minutes. Don't let that be you or someone you know. Learn more at stoptheclot.org slash spread the word. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's get more perspective on the Supreme Court ruling on RFS waivers. Joining us now is Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, your thoughts on the ruling? Good morning, Mike. Glad to be with you. Well, it's it's certainly a disappointment. Uh, we, we certainly disagree with the majority opinion from the Supreme Court. But, uh, you know, we recognize that this EPA is going to take a much different approach to the small refiner exemption program under the renewable fuel standard. Not to mention, uh, you know, the, the EPA was rebuked in the 10th Circuit for three on three points, and this Supreme Court decision only addressed one of them. So I, while I'm sure the, the refining community and the oil and gas industry is going to say, you know, the Supreme Court... Uh, said you must grant small refiner exemptions. It's absolutely not the case. And, and there's still a, a great deal of prudence that we expect uh, within EPA's uh, handling of the program to ensure that we're not kind of reopening the floodgates of small refiner exemptions as we saw under the, uh, the previous uh, EPA. Yeah, that's the key point, I think, the key takeaway. The Supreme Court didn't say to EPA, to EPA you have to grant these waivers, so it really falls back into uh, the EPA's lap and how they choose to go forward. And you're optimistic on how that this EPA will handle those? Well, I would say I'm hopeful. Optimistic might be a, a little strong. Uh, there's always competing pressures when it comes to implement, implementation of the renewable fuel standard. We're seeing it today, right now. There's a, a handful of East Coast refiners that are arguing to the Biden administration that the renewable fuel standard is creating a, an economic hardship for them, and they're trying to, to skirt their obligations under the program. Uh, it was reported just a week or two ago that they're considering providing relief or exempting these refiners from their blending obligations, which it would be a terrible precedent, and it would be entirely contrary to the commitments that, that President Biden made as a candidate. He said he was going to support the renewable fuels industry, he saw uh, renewable fuels as a key component to his goals to reduce carbon and address climate change. Um, and he also criticized then-President Trump, rightfully so, on his handling of the small refiner exemption waivers. So you, you would certainly hope that this administration wouldn't, wouldn't take action that would be 100% contrary to both the commitments and the statement that the, that the president made while a candidate. But that, that's the fact of the, the matter. There is a great deal of pressure on, on both sides. The, the RFS is working when allowed to, uh, to be implemented in a way that, that is predictable and provides certainty. It, it has the ability to grow volumes of low-carbon biofuels, provide certainty to our industry to build out, make the investments, invest in the feedstock. And so that's what we would hope that this administration will continue to do. They, they should see the renewable fuel standard as one of the few statutes on the books that allows for them to drive uh, demand and use of lower carbon fuels, and that's exactly what we're doing, and that's the that's the point that we're trying to make to this EPA. 
Well, there's been a lot of excitement and a lot of momentum behind renewable diesel being a part of uh, reaching these climate goals, but yet the administration seems to be really pushing hard electric vehicles. Uh, do you see this as mixed signals? I think there's a little bit of mixed signals. I, I also think it's a, a little bit of over-enthusiasm for a single technology uh, that, that may not be necessary. And, and the, the, the conversations that we've been having with the administration is, Listen, we, we recognize that there's a strong uh, motivation and momentum for electrification of the vehicle fleet. We understand that. What, what we would like them to understand is our fuel goes into sectors of the transportation economy that are, that are extremely hard to electrify or decarbonize through, through other means. Think heavy-duty, long-haul trucking, construction equipment, uh, uh, farm, farm machinery, as well as home heating. So... What, we'll, what, what we would like the uh, administration to understand is we're working today to decarbonize those sectors of, the, sectors of the economy. We recognize that they may view that they should be electrified. That may be the case, but that certainly isn't going to happen overnight. It's probably not going to happen within the next couple decades. So in the meantime, wouldn't it be prudent to support technologies that are providing decarbonization today and can save a lot of GHG emissions while they're, they're working to get their preferred uh, technology deployed. Finally, RVO levels. There's some thought that the administration will, EPA will adjust those to grant that uh, relief to the oil industry. What are you expecting there? Well, we're expecting, now that the Supreme Court has ruled, uh, we're anticipating that the EPA will submit their uh, renewable volume obligation proposal over to the Office of Management and Budget anytime here. That will kind of start the clock on the consideration. That would allow for a 30-day interagency review process before they would put it out for notice and public comment. But we are certainly concerned about the, the, the arguments that refiners are making to this administration leading to lower volumes in that proposed rule. And keep in mind, this is the rule that was supposed to be finalized on November 30th of last year that was never completed before the Trump administration left office. So we're already tardy in, in providing those volume obligations and the certainty for our producers. And the, the idea that they would reduce those volumes to kowtow to a couple uh, refiners would, would really be a, a, a significant step in the wrong direction. And w this is the first opportunity for the Biden administration to demonstrate, are we on board with biofuels and agriculture as a as a solution to our climate problems or not so we're we're certainly hopeful we're making the case that this is our uh, first and, and best opportunity to demonstrate their commitment to agriculture and to biofuels in terms of uh, higher volumes to, to to lower carbon yeah i know from a biodiesel perspective you felt they were too low for your industry already so to lower them more would be very disappointing kurt thanks a lot we appreciate your thoughts and perspective on all this thank you always glad to be with you thanks mike all right that is kurt kavarik vice president federal affairs for the national biodiesel board so while the supreme court ruling on rfs waivers was disappointing for the biofuels industry it's not all bad news and um, much of the, uh, uh, the decision-making process will stay in, intact with the EPA, and uh, we'll see how they handle it, how this EPA handles the requests they get moving forward. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us right here on AOA.
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.